Mud Stories, Episode 55. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. If you have to do it, if you just have to do it, because it gives you joy and pleasure and it makes you nervous to not be able to do that, that's an addiction. And I confessed to her one day and said, Brenda, I'm an alcoholic. She said the worst possible thing she could ever say. Instead of arguing with me, she said, oh no, not you. That broke my heart. It took years for her to trust me after that. You know, no one deserves for things to be better. No, nobody deserves forgiveness. That's what grace is. If you deserve it, it's not grace. There's no such thing as, but I don't deserve forgiveness. Forgiveness is what's given when it's not deserved. Otherwise, it's not forgiveness. I never realized or knew marriage could be so awesome, especially after what I had done, breaking her heart and breaking her trust. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments. Hope to make it through your mud and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so glad to be joining you again today and I'm thrilled that you've chosen to join me as well. And it is my hope that whatever you are facing today, that this episode would be a great encouragement to you and that you would leave this time together changed for the better. And so today I have a special guy joining us. It's a special episode, sort of a part one of two episodes, and I'll get into a little bit more of that in a minute. But Gary Moreland is here with me today, and he is the father to two grown girls. He is married to his wife, Brenda. They have six grandchildren, and they reside near their family in North Carolina. Now, Gary is a writer. He's a radio show host, and he's worked in a variety of various jobs along the way. And today, he so transparently and candidly is going to share his mud story, his life story, really, of what he's been through, how God met him in his deepest, darkest places, and how his life has been transformed for good, no matter where he's been or what he's done. And it's my desire, as well as Gary's, for you to know that that can be true for you, too. Now, I know I mentioned earlier about this being maybe a part one of a two-part episode and that Gary is the father to two grown daughters, and I'm thinking some of you may know who they are. Gary and Brenda's oldest daughter is named Michaelyn Smith. She's also known online as The Nester, thenester.com, and their youngest daughter is Emily P. Freeman, author, writer, and blogger over at her blog, emilypfreeman.com. Some people still call it chatting at the sky. And I'm really excited that Gary's here this week because next week we're going to be talking on the podcast to Emily. And Emily is releasing her fourth book next week entitled Simply Tuesday. And I'm excited to talk to her next week about that and maybe a little bit of her take on her dad's mud story as well. And so I'm looking forward to several weeks spending time with this encouraging, lovely family and the richness and connection that they share can't be overlooked. The light of Christ shines so radiantly through them. And it's just my honor to be able to bring you mud stories from both Gary and Emily. And so today, I hope that as Gary shares not only his mud, but the hope that can come, really the scary hope, as Gary would say, because that's one of the titles of an ebook that he's written, the scary hope that can come when we look to Christ even in the midst of our deepest mud. And so may this be a blessing to you. Here, without further delay, is my conversation with Gary Moreland. Enjoy. Hey, Gary, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for asking. Thanks for the invitation. You are so welcome. People like to be invited to things, you know? Even when they say no, it just has value to know, oh, someone noticed me. I know. You're so right. You're so very right. 
Well, I'm excited you're here uh, because I just love what you're doing. And I, I'm glad you're here, I think, primarily because the topic at hand today is one that affects so many people. And I'm really thankful how you've been transparent in sharing your story in an ebook that you've written and how you can give us some wisdom and insight from your own life experience, because I think there's nothing better than learning from someone who's been there. So before we get to all that, I'd love it if you'd take some time to tell us about your family and where you live and what you do. I live in uh, near Charlotte, North Carolina, to one of the suburbs, Mint Hill. Mint Hill. And we live uh, about uh, 15 minutes from Michaelin, the nester. Yes. And live about uh, an hour and 15 minutes from Emily, Emily P. Freeman, Grace for the Good Girl in a Million Little Ways, and then her new book that's coming out. And we um, are, we're close as a family uh, with our daughters, with the grandkids, with the uh, husbands. And we really super, super enjoy, I think, being a family together. We enjoy not having major dysfunctions. <laughs> <laughs> we have dysfunctions, but they're not, they don't dominate our relationship. And so that gives us great joy. We get together once a year and do a thing we call Goals Weekend or Vision Weekend uh, as a family. Really, it's just an excuse to talk about the past year, <laughs> talk about your hopes and dreams. Whose idea was that, Gary, that Goals Weekend? Because I remember reading about that. Um, I don't remember. It could have been mine, but I'm not sure. But we've done it for a bunch of years. Yeah. Really, it's a chance for everybody to hear each other's heartbeat. Mm -hmm. That's really what you want to do. When you hear someone's heartbeat in your family, it just softens you toward them. It makes you root for them. And so each person gets a chance to share, and we all just give that person our undivided attention at that time. I even take notes. I've got notes going back for many, many goals weekends that we've done, (laughs) you know. And then we tell what our goals are for the next year, and, you know, maybe we'll do them, maybe we won't. Because it's not – the point is the connecting. Yes. The point is the – uh, sharing time together. And then we'll, have, we'll try to have, sometimes it's just for a couple hours. Uh, sometimes it might be for a couple days. Back when the kids were real little or before Emily had kids, we would do like a whole weekend together. Anyway, we enjoy doing that. We live close enough to be able to physically uh, be together. That became important to me. You, everybody can't do that. You can't adjust your life and pick up your life just to be close to your family necessarily, you know? Uh, people have to live their own lives. But, it, but if it's, but it, you can do it if you want to, you know? And so for us, we wanted to be back. We lived in Texas for a few years. We wanted to be back in the Carolina area where both girls were. And my thought was, well, I can do church anywhere. I can be in church. I can work anywhere. But I've only got one family. That's how I looked at it. You know, if my family was bigger and they were spread all over, I wouldn't be able to do that. But they happened to live near each other. Uh, So when my last uh, job thing changed in December, uh, which means that was a normal time when a job ends, that's a normal time to go get the other job in another city. And I didn't, we didn't do, I didn't do that because I thought I have roots here. I want to stay here. I don't know what that's going to mean about changing my life, but this is a bigger priority than that. And I've moved around enough and started over enough. And uh, so because of family and because of friends, we've just stayed in the same area and really liking it. So trying to get used to seeing what that means because you've got to live with your decisions, right? Right. So we're living with our decisions, but part of that is, great, what are we going to do together this weekend or something, you know, depending (laughs) on what everybody's doing. You know, we're not, I don't mean that we hang out together all the time. I just mean we basically have an attitude that we root for each other, I think. And that's very, very important. Well, and there's something so special about being seen. That's what I'm hearing you say, that you make intentional time to connect so that one another is seen, not only in the superficial fun ways, but in the deep internally reflective ways. Yeah, exactly. And that's bonding. It's what family is supposed to be. There's cues we get from each other when we're in our each other's presence, you know? Yes. That you, whatever they call them, nonverbal stuff. Mm-hmm. You There's information in there. There's things in that you couldn't tell what it is. You couldn't explain it. You couldn't say, it's not a, well, I could tell by the way you were sitting that you were feeling this. No, 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 it's not that. It's just their whole demeanor that you soak up who they are and what they're Mm -hmm. feeling and how they're thinking and you get a vibe, you know, and all those things contribute to your relationship and to how you feel about them and how you want to root for them. So, yeah, I think that is the physical – you can't always do that, obviously, but but there is advantages when you can. And if it's possible to make that as the priority, it would be preferable, right? Yeah. If it's valuable, try to to make it happen. 
even if it's just once a year, you, you know, times when you get together. That's why we like getting together as family. You know, it's like, well, I mean, at Christmas, you, you could do it through Skype. It's not the same. <laughs> right. Right. Let's do Thanksgiving. We can just do it through Skype. We'll all we'll all have turkey and we'll right. set the laptop on the table. Nobody does that. <laughs> we all know that there's something about being together in person. <laughs> yes. Well, the weight of our presence um, reflects our value and our investment in one another. And it's something that can't be replaced unless you're in someone's presence. So let's talk about mud, Gary. You have lived some mud through, throughout your life, and things could appear as if everything's just great. You know, you have your two girls, you live near them, you have a connected family where you do these goal weekends and other things that you have jointly decided to venture into together. It could come across like there's never been any difficulty or adversity at all for you. And yet I know that isn't the case. So I'd love it if you'd take me back and Share with us where some mud for you began in your life. Well, first of all, no one has said everything could seem great with my name in the same sentence before. <laughs> well, I just did. <laughs> so thanks for that. You're so but welcome. We know that is never true, right? Never. There's You're always more. Right. There's always unseen. We get evidence of it all the time. We should never be surprised at anything in our family or friends or the world that we look at. When we hear something or discover something, we should never be surprised. There's always more than anybody can see. That's right. Everyone has a story. Yeah. And when and if we can just appreciate that and know that every way that someone behaves or acts, ways we like or don't like, that's come from somewhere. That's right. Maybe some experience or some way that you've been formed, and you don't even know how that is that you've been formed, but we all do what we do for reasons. It doesn't let us off, but it can help us to understand maybe because we want people to understand us when we act like an idiot. That's right. <laughs> well, and it gives us more compassion instead of more angst and irritation. We can go to a place of understanding. Yeah. It changes our perspective. We all we always understand it when we act a certain way and we know why we did it, <laughs> but somebody else gets mad at us. Yes. And then we want to say, well, you don't understand. And then you want to give the background. It's like, <laughs> that's them too. That's right. We're all in the same boat. So my mud, my mud jacket goes back to uh, the day I was born. No, just kidding. But, um, <laughs> but my dad, but it really it does in a way because, you know, you're born into a family. You don't choose it. And you're going to live with, the Lord's going to use it, the family that you're born into, whatever that is for good or bad. You know, we always think that the Lord will always bring good stuff out of the good family that we're brought in, but unfortunately the bad stuff, the family that we were born in, that's just going to equal bad. Oh, not necessarily at all, right? That's it right. Can, it can be the other way. But, but often it takes a long time before it all, uh, before the soup cooks completely, you know? I don't, yes. It never cooks completely till you leave, I guess. What is it, what is it called? The flavors have to marry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They marinate. Yes. And they marinate your whole life. Anytime that anyone has an experience with you, Jackie, they're just tasting the soup the way it is right now, right? Mm hmm and then you can say, well, it's not done yet. It's like, well, it's never going to be done until you die. So it's always ongoing. But that means there's always hope. Oh, totally. Yeah, always oh, hope. There's always hope. Because it isn't, doesn't it always get better and better? Isn't it always better on the second day and the third day till it gets moldy? You know, up until the mold. <laughs> but that's death. Yeah, the mold in the fridge, not good. Yeah, up until then, it's always getting better and better. That's right. Uh, for me, we started out, our family... Uh, uh, I was, I'm the oldest of three kids, and uh, my brother was born two years after me, sister a couple years after that. My dad was an alcoholic, and that basically dominated the family mood. And it was just I, – I assume we were like all alcoholic families or a, or, or a, a, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. You know, mom was an enabler. You know, let's not rock the boat, you know, because it's going to put dad in a bad mood. Uh, so we all walked on eggshells, don't want to make dad upset. We would avoid things, avoid controversies or problems, try to act like it was normal. But, you know, when you grow up in an alcoholic household, you don't know what normal is. Of course, I guess when you grow up in a non-alcoholic household, you don't know what normal is either, right? Right. So, you know, we never learned that. Uh, we thought anything that we experienced was normal. But I never learned what a healthy family relationship really looked like. My mom and dad were really nice people. We didn't have bad stuff go on middle-class life in southern Indiana. 
but I never, but those relationships and how you relate to each other and do you, do you do things on purpose to try to make things good or are you just trying to survive and you react to a day and to a situation? I didn't know you could ever actually try to do something on purpose to make something good. I never saw any of that. It was just reacting to stuff. Nothing was purposeful. Uh, but I did, but they, they, you, if you don't know what you're shooting for, you know, if you don't know what a good relationship is, which mom and dad probably didn't know either, they don't know. They're just doing the best they can with what they got, just like we all do. But I did learn what I didn't like and didn't want and what didn't work. And I did learn what felt bad. And that was arguing and that was not dealing with problems and um, stuff didn't feel right. And, but, and so I ended up, you know, ignorant in that and dysfunctional. And I took all my ignorance and dysfunction into our marriage with Brenda, like we all do. And Brenda had ignorance and dysfunction too. She brought hers in, uh, like all marriages. And then I became an ad, add in that I became an alcoholic for 14 years, three quarts of beer a day, every single day. And I learned more habits of just reacting and arguing and especially being defensive. And that's not a good thing to do in your marriage when you're, if you're defensive with your spouse and, and you're touchy and then you argue, that's all I knew. And we did that for years and years. I was a nice guy, just aimless, purposeless and drunk, you know, for years. But then three things happened. Okay, but before you tell me about that, do you remember a day that you decided, I'm going to be an alcoholic? Like, I'm going to choose to... Exactly. So talk to me about how the process was insidious and instinctual in your frame of reference growing up and how don't you think sometimes it just these sort of addictions just sneak up on us and we don't really you you mentioned being aimless and wandering we oftentimes don't really realize we've arrived where we are until we're already there yeah and and so describe for me how that looked like in your everyday life I mean you write a little bit about you know, making excuses to go places just so you could hide things and drink more. And, you know, how did it progress along the way? 14 years is a long time. Some of it probably, well, maybe a lot of it, maybe all of it, you know, has to do with how we're made in a certain way. And I don't mean that God made me an alcoholic. I just mean he makes you a certain way and you have some weaknesses in there. You know, you don't have to give in to your weaknesses or you don't have to give in to your Every urge that you have, it's a fallen world, and every urge that you have is not good and holy and righteous. It's just not. There are other urges. I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, when I discovered you could stay home from school by acting like you're sick, that was a big deal to me. Mm. I can get out of something I don't Mm want to do. Yes. And then, uh, I mean, I'm just ashamed to talk about this, though, really. Then, then I realized one time <laughs> I was in school, I was in elementary school, and I had a project I had to work on. It was some special team that did something, and you could get out of class and go do this project with the team. Well, when the project was over, I kept telling the teacher, hey, I got to go work on the project, because then I could get out of class. Right. See? So, do you see it? Like, that's a pattern. Yes. That's a pattern of uh, you, you can avoid things you don't want. And you can just enjoy something you want to enjoy. Right. So it's a way of escaping. Sort of, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Escaping reality. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. There's sort of a stereotype about alcoholism on that, that you're escaping reality. I guess that's true in a way. I just, all well, I that, know is. They say that about all addictions. So it's yeah, not just. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's a colloquialism. But essentially, you you found a way and a pattern of living where you learned that if there was something that was unpleasurable or undesirable or you just flat okay. out didn't want to do, yeah. then you, can get, you can get out of it. And so when, then, then you have, yeah. then you get older and you have that drink of alcohol. It feels good. It felt mm-hmm. good to me. Yeah. Oh, well then here's a really easy way to feel good. So I never planned it out, you know, Right. like you were saying, I just, well, I can feel good. Well, I could, I could do that again tomorrow. I could drink some more beer tomorrow and it doesn't take long if there's nothing to stop you. And it just, I, some people don't have that problem. So it's just not the same thing for them. But then others of us. I think there's a million different kinds of addictions, Jackie. Totally. You know? Yes, and, I was and just going to say some of them that. are very, very socially acceptable. Yes. Like eating. <laughs> yeah, or shopping. Shopping. Yep. Spending money. If you have to do it, if you just have to do it because it gives you joy and pleasure and it makes you nervous to not be able to do that, that's an addiction. A person, a relationship can be an addiction. Anyway, so I learned that pretty quick and I didn't learn that I, that, that this thing could get worse and worse. I didn't put all that together 
So on a side note, why did you choose beer as opposed to other things? It was easy. Dad took me out the first, you know, okay. you turn 21. Dad's an alcoholic. He's going to take me out for a beer. <laughs> so we go to the Cozy. Right. That was the local place and have a beer. Oh, cool. And then later you go, I could go buy some. I could actually buy some. Oh, like it's perfectly legal. Just walk in the store and get some and feel good instantly. So I liked that. And I just kept doing it and repeating it. And that probably played into another part of my personality, which was, uh, well, don't rock the boat and don't change things. Just let things go. And so I just let that go. And it took on a life of its own. But then that leads to a necessity to be dishonest and to yeah. hide. Oh, yeah. H how did that play out? Because certainly you can't. You're making me talk about ugly stuff. I don't well, want you know, this is the mud, Gary. We have to get real. I lied to Brenda about yeah. drinking. Yeah. She didn't know how much I drank. I lied to her. This was horrible. It took years for her to trust me after this. Mm. But by the way, that is part of what your message is, Jackie, that it took years for her to trust me after that. But now it's unimaginably awesome. Yeah. I never realized or knew marriage could be so awesome, especially after what I had done, breaking her heart and breaking her trust. And I confessed to her one day and said, Brenda, I'm an alcoholic. She said the worst possible thing she could ever say. Instead of arguing with me, she said, oh, no, not you. That broke my heart. I thought, okay, I know I won't drink today. You know, I had, I had not told her before because I knew if she knew how much I drank, she would make me stop and then I would have to deal with it. And I don't want to do that. Right. I'm not ready for that. And I think there's a lot of people listening to our voices today who are doing that very thing. Yeah. Well, it gets a very old. Yeah. Well, uh, it's an so addiction gets very tiring. Very tiring. Yes. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Oh, well, I because you're trying to keep up a double life. You're trying to maintain and always be trying to figure out what to say, what to do, how to go. And you're always preoccupied in your mind to get Gotta have that. Your stuff. That's right. Do I have enough? That's right. And it's, ex it's exhausting. No Sunday yeah. sales in Indiana. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Okay. Uh, I can't put that in a bunch of the refrigerator. What am I going to do with it? Oh, I'll have to figure something out. I don't mm -hmm. remember what I did. I just remember being preoccupied with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you deal and then you deal with it. And then and then the land that you didn't even know existed, which was the non-addiction land. I didn't even know that land existed in my adult life. I'd look at Brenda and go, how do you do it? I didn't say that. How do you stay sober every day? Well, it's so foreign to you. I mean, for yes, for years, it's, it's just yes. not anything you can relate to. But I love what you said about what you now know on the other side of forgiveness. My last guest, uh, Amber Haynes, said this quote that will be living with me for a long time. She said, there is such beauty and intimacy on the other side of forgiveness. And I think that's what you're talking about. You know, there, there's a type of relationship you have with Brenda now that would have never been possible had you not gotten to your lowest point and faced some of these most difficult things. Not that you'd want to do it that way again, but what you're enjoying now is the type of marriage you never would have realized could have been possible. Yeah, I'm thinking it was – we didn't argue. There was no arguing or fighting over that. We argued and fought over stuff, you know, in our marriage in, that, in those days, but not about that. And yeah. then after that, we didn't simply because I stopped because I couldn't I, – I stopped drinking. So she wasn't going to argue with me if I, about that if I wasn't drinking. Yeah. Well, tell us about that. How did – you decide to stop. You were mentioning that there were a few things that happened that made you want to change, three things. Well, the part that led up to the stopping drinking was I just was getting really sick and tired of it. And one day it just came out of my mouth to Brenda. Brenda, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, no, not you. You hadn't planned to say that? No. Wow. No, 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 no. No, I had a plan to quit. And my plan to quit was I won't drink today. That never worked. And so there's certain things I can't – there's certain things that are not advice. You cannot give advice in a way – at least I can't give advice. I'd like to tell somebody, well, how would you stop drinking? Then I'll do that. Okay, well, drink for 14 years, three quarts of beer a day at least every single day for 14 years, and then let Jesus do a miracle in your life, and you stop drinking because that's what it was. Even though I wasn't a Christian – I'm convinced this was part of, I mean, that was his activity in my life. I stopped. So all the years you were drinking, you weren't a Christ follower. No, 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 no. Was Brenda a Christian? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. So Brenda and the girls would go to church, and what would you do? Stay home and drink. I'd stay home and drink. And then I'd try to do something like uh, wash the dishes or something, you know, so I didn't have to feel so guilty that I'd stay home and drink, you know? Something productive. <laughs> yeah, something productive. Like, hey, I wash the dishes. Yeah, look, I'm, not, I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm not a whole big bad loser, you know? <laughs> but then I would go to church on special occasions, you know, if it was Easter or Christmas or it was uh, vacation Bible school and they had a big program or something. Right. Oh, those days would be like torture because like I can't go in there having been drinking. Oh, golly, I can't drink. It was just torture. Is this day ever going to end, you know? <laughs> yeah. What did fatherhood look like for you in those years? Uh, I was a nice guy. I had fun. I think the girls liked me. I think we related well. I was kind of purposeless, though. Um, you know, just get through the day. We played. I think it was good. How old were they when you told Brenda that day? Michaelin was a young teenager. Emily was probably getting in close to teenager. Uh, Emily might have been 10. I don't know. Michael and might have been 13. Somewhere in there. They weren't little, little, put it that way. No. They were both believers. They were both Jesus followers. And so was Brenda. And so I don't know how I quit. I just know that it was a miracle. And I know that I just really didn't have an urge after that. That's not advice for anyone, you know. But that is saying that uh, you can do this. You can walk back into it. If you're saved, if someone comes out and rescues you from the ocean, you know, and you'd say, well, here's my advice. Start drowning and let someone rescue you because that's what happened to me. OK, that's not advice. That doesn't help. But it does help to know that there is a God who is powerful enough. And that whatever these things and I had to cooperate because, like I said, the next day I could have walked back out into, into the ocean and started drowning again. I could, any day I can do that. I don't know how to explain that. It's not credit. It's not willpower. You, you go try to go by willpower, you will lose. Mm -hmm. I don't know how. Pe people who, who think they're succeeding on willpower, I think they're just born with willpower on certain things. You know? You're just better at that than some people are in a lot of ways. You can't suddenly manufacture it, I don't think. But that's just my opinion. So I, I, I stopped and uh, life started looking different. And I immediately began thinking and noticing spiritual things as Brenda would try to get me to church or different things. And I was a little more open to it, a little more open to church. What do you think made you more open? Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's right. I was going to say, I yeah. bet you you had three sweet women praying for you. Yeah. Oh, they were yeah. praying like And crazy. so they many were, others. Yeah. They were coming over in my drinking days. They'd come over, <laughs> yeah. you know, Monday night visitation. Brenda was in a Southern Baptist church, and, and I'd be mad. It's like, you guys, can't you tell? <laughs> Just, I know why you're here. You're you're all, stop gun. praying for me. <laughs> trying to get a notch on your salvation gun. I know what you're doing. You don't know me. You don't care about me. Oh, I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just saying that's yeah. what I thought. Then. Right. Because, I mean, I didn't see them any other times except when they visited the unsaved, drunk husband of our church member, you know. Yeah. But God's love and his ways are relentless. And he, yeah, yeah. his oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, he had his ways, yes. That's right. It was like, Jackie, it was like uh, if you were an unbeliever and became a believer during a time when you were not just a little kid, maybe this makes sense to you. It was as if someone... If you're in a parking lot and you heard your name, you know, Gary, your head would pick up, right? Yes. You just instinctively would, would, would perk up. It was like someone called my name and I perked up, but I didn't know who they were, you know? And I was like looking for them. It was that reaction, even though I, I didn't know who it was. It was that kind of reaction inside me. And so then, then I started going to church. And uh, this is also... Potentially helpful. People have asked Brenda, so what do you do when your husband's not saved? It's like, well, what are you going to do? Wave a magic wand? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, she prayed. She tried to get me to go to church. That didn't work. She'd try to push. That didn't work. She tried some tricks. That didn't work. Right. Um, but I suppose when she started leaving me alone, some things started happening. And uh, I gained, started getting some interest. In fact, it was going on so much inside me that I remember telling Brenda, I wanted to tell Brenda, I wouldn't tell her this out loud. Don't, can't you tell something's happening in me? <laughs> How do 
doesn't think I'm going to church with you voluntarily. Right. How come you've stopped <laughs> talking to me about Jesus? You used to always talk to me about Jesus. And oh. now you're not talking to me and I'm wondering what the heck's going on. Oh. But I wouldn't tell her that. And I right. wouldn't tell anyone that. Right. But quite often you don't know what's happening inside someone that you really care about and love. And you think nothing's going on on the inside. And you think they didn't hear what you said. And you think they're completely dead to some spiritual things. But there's stuff happening in there. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like Brenda chose surrender. Yeah, I she, think so. She chose surrender. And yeah. we, we know that Scripture tells us only the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of the blind. Yeah. So, in other words, you know, God was moving in yeah. you to show you and have you open to things that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to see. You can get in somebody, you can get in the Lord's way. You can be the junior Holy Spirit. <laughs> I've got my junior Holy Spirit back. Here's what you need to hear right now. That's right. That never goes well. That really never goes well. No, but you also can't surrender as a, as a maneuver. Like a faker, oh, right? Like a strategy. Yeah, I'll surrender to you, Lord. And then that will bring him to you. No, when you surrender, it means no matter what. So I don't know what she did, but I assume it was something like that. Yeah, I would think so. All right. So these changes start happening in you and you start feeling moved to what? Go to church, read your Bible. Yeah, went to church. Um, yeah, I wasn't really reading the Bible. That didn't make sense. I'd go to church. I'd hear stuff. Stuff was going. I don't know how to explain it. And I lost a job again. We were in Iowa. And then... I just, one day, I don't know how to explain it. One day, it was like an out-of-body experience. I, in the basement on the, in the Bettendorf, Iowa, it's not far from the Mississippi River in Davenport. I know exactly where that is. My mom was born in Rock Island, and my grandma lived in Davenport all her huh? life. Yeah, I, I've been there many times. I worked at a radio station up on the hill, on top of the hill there in Davenport. Yep. I still remember uh, Harris Pizza and Made Right Hamburgers. Not, not to be on a side note, but I am. <laughs> Emily, Emily and I used to go to the baseball games, the minor league team baseball games down by the river with the tugboats going by at night games. It was awesome. Love that area. I know. The Mississippi River, it's a special yeah. place. Anyway, yes. go on. I, so, I digress. Um, I'm on my knees in my basement, and part of me is going, what are you doing? I'm on my knees. I go, Lord. And then another voice. It's not really a voice, okay? It just... Like, this is just for a couple seconds, this half, a minute or two. It's like, Lord, what are you doing? And so I said, it was like a voice said that to me, you know? And uh, so I'm, I'm going, Lord, I am so tired of this. I always thought, you know, I was going to have my act together when I was a grown up, and there'd be some magic button that would make me mature, make me understand things. I don't have nothing. <laughs> I don't have control of nothing. What can I control? I just lost my job. I can't control that. Can I control if I get another job? No. Can I control Brenda's love? Well, I know she'll love me. No, can you control it? Can you make her love you tomorrow? Can you guarantee that she won't leave you for some other man or stop loving you? No. Can you guarantee that, that your kids won't turn out horrible? Can you control that? Well, I can do the best I can. Can you control it? No. No. Can you control that you have, whether you're going to die tomorrow? Can you control? You might have cancer inside right now, and you don't know it. Can you control? I mean, it got to a point in, the, in those few seconds, like, I don't control nothing. <laughs> I've got zero control. Zero. So since I've got zero control, the easiest thing to do is to say, I give up. And so I gave up. And I just said, Lord, I give up. I quit. You take it. You take my life. Here. You have it. I knew all the stuff, you know, that always witnessed to me. So I knew that Jesus had died for my sins. And I knew that if there was a God, that I was in bad shape because, you know, I was born a certain way and I needed forgiveness. And I just innately knew something like that. I don't know. So I believed that. I was believing that. I believed that Jesus died for my sins. I believed that, uh, that through him alone, he could provide salvation by what he did on the cross. His work on the cross was complete, absolute, total, finished. I could add nothing to it. And I knew that if he was real, that he's got to own everything. I mean, if God is real, he owns the whole thing. Everything came from him. He's created it for his own purpose. He can use it for whatever his purpose is. And you can cooperate with it or you can fight it. But if you fight it, you're going to lose. And so I gave up. And everything changed. And I got up and... I uh, went and picked up Brenda. She's working at a teller at the bank. Picked up Brenda at the bank. I said, hey, Brenda, I said that prayer today. You know what she said? What prayer? <laughs> <laughs> 
the prayer. The girl had surrendered for real. The one you're always trying to get a non-Christian to say, that prayer. Oh, oh, that's great. (laughs) That's how far away she she got. That's how much she had let go of controlling her husband's salvation. Mm, That's right. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, that was the one, th- I told you there were three things that happened that changed my life. Mm-hmm. One was I miraculously stopped drinking. Second thing was two years later, cause it took two years for me to get my brain unpickled so I could understand the gospel. I think, you know, yeah. that it, cause I thought I was an intellectual. It's like, oh, this is as intellectual as you want it to be, Gary. <laughs> this is really intellectual. Think about, you know, just think about, you know, justice and the fact that every single person has to pay for their sin. Okay, so there's justice, right? Let's see. Now, here's the intellectual problem. How are you going to let people off from paying for their sin if there is no one, if if every sin has to be paid for? Yeah. How are you going to do that? Because every person has to, if there's perfect justice with God, then every sin has to be paid for. But if there's perfect love, every person has to be able to get off. How are you going to do that, big guy? Right? (laughs) Right. And so the big guy says, I'll come to earth. Jesus. And I will be a perfect human being who never sins, mm-hmm. who has no sin penalty to pay. And then I will take on the sin, not only that I would have, could have had my own and pay for my own, I will take on the sin of every single person who ever lives. And I will pay that penalty. And my father will have perfect justice. All the sins have been paid for, and he will offer perfect love. Everyone can get a pardon if they will simply agree to the terms, the terms being, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I deserve death. Yes, Jesus Christ, you paid for it. And, and so I agree with that. I will sign my name here on your heart. I agree with that. And now I'm free. And so why should I let you into my heaven? You know that question, you know? Mm-hmm. Why should I let you into my heaven? It's like, Lord, you shouldn't let me into, my, into your heaven. You have the right to keep me out of your heaven. I understand what your standards are. And I've messed up. And I'm, no matter how good I am, I know I can't be good enough. However, you said, you said, if I believe in your son who paid for my sins, then I can come in with him. So I am in him and he is in me. So no, you can't let me in, but I'm in him. And you said I can come in. So I'm coming in. Let's party. That's or right. however you would put it. So that's intellectual to me. And thanks be to God for that indescribable gift. Just Yes. I don't think I'm ever going to get over it. It took me two years to get to a point where I could say yes to that. Yeah. After I stopped drinking. So miraculously stopped drinking. Two years later, I believed in Jesus. And then six months later, I met someone who mentored and shepherded me in what that all actually meant from now until the day I die. That is so good. That was very, that's a very important part, I think, of our lives. Sometimes it may be one main person. Sometimes it may be many, many, many people at the same time. But those people are very important to us, and we're important to them in what that all means about why we're still here and not taken to heaven yet. Right. Well, and for you, ceasing the alcohol was a miraculous event for you. You just were able to cold turkey stop doing that, which isn't the case for all people. But I love to hear you say and advocate for mentorship slash counseling slash guidance, because I think that's something, no matter what way the addiction ceases for any of us, that is something that we really need. We need community and accountability. Can you speak to what that process looked like for you? Well, that man helped me to see and to learn how to connect the dots. Yeah. Uh, The dots of the Bible, God, family, work, life, me, people. He helped me see how to translate the Bible into my life and circumstances. Uh, That all started about the same. I'd been married probably 13, 15 years during that time, Mm -hmm. and the kids were now a little older than when I said before. They were 10 and 13. Now maybe they're 12 and 15. Yeah. And so he helped me to unlearn those bad habits I told you that I had yeah. of, uh, of just reacting to things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being defensive, defensive. I mean, I just automatically, even after I was a Christian, you know, I still reacted those ways when something would come up. I had to learn all those bad habits of uh, unlearn those bad habits of thinking and responding to yeah. things. And so, well, because you're still you, even though you yeah. accepted Christ, we're you still ourselves. Habits. That's right. So he showed me some new perspectives. And he showed me, helped me to gain some different expectations of people Ooh, and life. Ooh, that's key. 
and how things worked. And so I learned how mm-hmm. marriage and family relationships work and don't work. And plus I read and tried to pay attention and notice things with people um, and uh, tried to study on my own. And I, also, this is, this is important too to me. I began to soak up not only just the truth that's taught in the Bible, but when you read the Bible, there is a demeanor, there is a personality, there is a voice, there is a character that you can feel behind the words you can feel his voice. You can feel what kind of person God is. And this personality of grace and humility and patience began working in me and out of me. Mm-hmm. And so I could, I sensed that. It wasn't just what it said, although that was, you know, huge. It was how it said it. How in all those stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so Harold helped me to, my, my, this guy that I met, helped me to see that. And all the time I would ask him extremely practical questions. Harold, they made me a deacon at church and everybody's mad at me. What do I do? Harold, <laughs> Brenda's mad at me and she yelled at me. What do I do? Harold, I think I'm going to lose my job. What do I do? Harold, <sighs> money, everything. And he would help me see and he would help me to learn to think on my own. But here's what we say about when we say about, about, about people, Jackie, like you said a while ago, they're yeah. important, you know. Because mm-hmm. I told him, I said, I don't want to have to call you every time I have a question. He said, you'll get there. I said, yeah, when? Well, I did get there. Well, you know, I got far down the road, yes. not, not there and certainly not where he was. But it takes time. It, takes, mm-hmm. it can take time. Mm-hmm. And you don't just get exposed to it one time. You know, you have to see. You, he helped me to, to, to start realizing I had to see things from a lot of different directions, a lot of different angles to see how they worked. And that ended up really affecting the kind of husband that I became and the kind of dad that I became. And I believe our family, because of this man, uh, you know, giving earthly credit, I believe our family is different because of him. And we'd be a lot the same that we are. I think because of him, he's helped us to be more of a family that really roots for each other. And we don't let our dysfunctions dominate. Well, but to your credit, you chose to seek guidance and counsel and you chose to be teachable. I think Uh, that's so important in our recovery process from whatever addiction or trouble or adversity or suffering we're facing. I think a teachable, humble spirit, God honors that. Uh, I I was given an opportunity. Yeah. And the opportunity one day he said, and I had been to a class of his, but I'd never had a personal relationship with him. And so there was a window and you, and you're right. Although I, Again, I, it's, I don't know how these things work, but I don't, you can't take credit for saying yes to something. Mm. But he, he asked me a question one time. I think we probably we want to be sensitive to these questions, Jackie. When windows of opportunity for uh, helping us to become the kind of person we would like to become, whether we can put that in words or not, when these opportunities come, we have to take them, and, and we won't want to take them. And what he said to me was, hey, Gary, I noticed uh, this is the end of one of his classes. He said something about, you know, you're at a certain stage of your Christian growth where it was six months, you know, yeah. certain stage of your Christman, Christ, Christian growth where blah, 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 whatever it was he said. He said, I can, I can help you with that you just, if you just called me. You could call me if you had any questions. I had a choice then, and we all have a choice sometimes. He might tell me something I don't want to hear. It might be a waste of my time. It might be too much trouble. Uh, I might just be too busy. And if I had said no... And if I had not called him and said, what the heck were you talking about, <laughs> which I did call him, then I would not be the person I am today if I had not done that. And so today I have – I've never gone to a theology class or any kind of classes like that that I've had outside of some in church. I have notebooks filled with conversations from this man because that's how I learn as I write notes. You know, Notebooks filled with conversations from Harold on theology and on the practical – application of it and what it all means, you know? Yeah. Like you learn the truth and stuff in church. It's like, okay, so what? How does that look in your marriage? You know, mm-hmm. how does that look with your family? So he made huge difference. And I would hate to think, it's, it's frightening to think if you're given an opportunity like that and not realizing all the good that can come from it. And you say, mm, nah, not right now. Or you're too bound by fear to say yes. I mean, it was yeah. a risk. Yeah, it was. It a was risk, a yeah. risk. It was an unknown, a wild card. Yeah. You had yep. no idea. Uh, you had heard him teach a class, but you didn't 
know the profound impact that could be, yeah. right? And yep. it makes me think as you're talking about when we do get along in our journey and our maturity in Christ, how we could be that person that just says a passing comment or offers the ability to have someone be willing or free to call us, how we could become heralds to others. That's how it's supposed to work. Right. That's why the Lord had him do that with me, for me to do that with others. He had someone who helped him. Yeah. His name was Bill Holland. He told me about him one time. He goes, I can't hold a candle to Bill Holland. And I said, I got to meet this guy. <laughs> and I made a pilgrimage to uh, Florida to meet Bill Holland. No and you way. Know what, and you know what Bill Holland told me? What? He had a person. Dr. Dillon. Oh. Dr. Dillon was a, Dr. Dillon's not around anymore. He said, Dr. Dillon was a missionary. And when he would come home from furlough as a missionary, he would teach, uh, do refresher courses for professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. Beautiful. That was Dr. Dillon. And Beautiful. that made me cry because mm -hmm. I realized there was a chain of people who went back to Jesus Christ mm -hmm. from me to Harold, to Bill, to Dr. Dillon. And I don't want that chain to stop. That's right. You may not be able to put them all together all the time, but guaranteed you're part of a chain, Jackie, you know, everyone is part of a chain and we, you, you don't want to be the weak link. Well, let's talk about that because I think a lot of us broken people get stuck in a really self-absorbed perspective of guilt and shame and not honoring or recognizing the sacrifice that Christ has done for us. We sort of wear this badge of honor, oh, I was bad, and how sad for me. And I don't mean to make light of people's pain, but there's a place where that becomes restrictive to us saying yes to what you're talking about. We become a weak link when we give in to that. So what would you say to someone who's listening to us today who really can't quite seem to let go of guilt and shame and are at risk for being that weak link? When it's people you don't know, you say one thing, you know, and you don't say a whole lot. And when it's someone that you know really well, which is the advantage of personal relationships, you can speak stronger to them. If they know that you care about them. Yeah, the context of relationship. Yeah. If they know that you have your best, their best interests in mind and that you've shown that in, in your life and they can feel it and they really trust you. I mean, a week ago, I said something to someone bluntly. And I reminded him before that, you and I know each other, right? Before I said what I said, you and I know each other. We have a good relationship, right? Yes, we do. So the kind of thing that I said to him and the kind of thing that I, and that I might say to someone else in that relationship would be very different than how I might answer than, than what an answer to your question is, you know? Right. Um, but I would start with like, it's never, ever too late. I read the Bible. And I see how messed up Israel was. It's the advantage of reading the Bible. <laughs> all those years, yeah. all those hundreds and hundreds of years of Israel's history. And they had 70, about 70, maybe a few more with Solomon. Good years. So they had this horrible track record with the Lord of their, of their faithfulness. Horrible. Think of all the books in the Old Testament, the major prophets and minor prophets. It's all God sending people to Israel, telling them to, sh to shape up. And they wouldn't do it. They never did it. And, and yet he still, when he would come to them, he still continued to call them. He was continually faithful to them and said, used phrases like, you know, restoring what the locusts have eaten. And if you long for that, if you long for things to be restored, if you long to not have to feel guilty and to be able to go forward and to to not be this person, if you regret or have guilt about something you've done before, and you don't want to have that, and you don't like that, if you want to change that, and if you want your life to be different from now on, and you long for that, why, do you think the Lord would move heaven and earth to help bring that about? Isn't that what he would want? Even if everything can't be fixed? I mean, the world is full of stories of reconciliation and forgiveness between spouses and parents, and kids, and others. It's full of stories like that. And sometimes you do have a choice. I mean, I know that it doesn't feel like we have a choice sometimes, you know. You don't understand what this person did. So that's right, I don't. So I can't say, because I don't understand what that person did. But I do know there are stories of people who have done horrific things. 
and somehow things were restored. And those people do understand. And so I see those pictures. Yeah. Those stories of reconciliation and of forgiveness that happen, and the world is full of those stories. How does that happen? Who is that God that brings those things about where they don't hate each other in the end? So, I mean, I guess it would start if you were in that position and you wanted to make a step. You know, you would admit to somebody, possibly, you know, that you think you harmed. You, you start there. You say you're sorry, ask for forgiveness. A parent, maybe a grown child, even the other way, grown child with the parent. And just saying that, just that one move can soften things and really start a, a thing going. You ever heard that story about, uh, it was about the ad in the paper in Mexico? Uh, Pablo was in the classifieds. Pablo, all is forgiven. Love, Papa. Put it in the classifieds, hoping Pablo would see it. Uh, meet me at the uh, intersection of da-da-da-da at the such-and-such such statue. And so Papa goes to the such-and-such such statue, and thousands of Pablos have shown up, hmm. hoping that it's their dad, thinking their dad, and reconciliation is waiting. That's how bad people want it. Hmm. Wow. What do you think are some ways when we, when we do what you're saying, when we reach out and we, in humility, ask for forgiveness, and we want to move forward in relationships that have been broken by our addictions or by our choices, what have you found before your mud, after your mud, you have a perspective where you can offer us some insight on improving our relationships, no matter what situation we're in, whether we've done something wrong to others or whether we've been hurt by their choices. What could we both as both sides bring to the table as far as attitudes and choices, advice you'd have for us to improve our relationships in general? I'm not a formula guy, but this always <laughs> works. And now I'm, when I say works, I don't mean it fixes everything. I mean it always makes it better. It may make it harder in the short term, but it always in the end makes it better. I'm ready. It starts with your attitude, giving up your need to be right, giving up your need to be paid back, uh, praying for the other person sincerely. When you pray for somebody sincerely, the Lord will be able to be, begin to connect your hearts mm. in, in an invisible way. I believe he will go before he goes before you, but it will take humility to pray for someone that you think is wrong to you. They should be praying for me. What do you mean I should pray for them? And then we read in the end of the end of the book of Job where his friends did things that were not right with him. Job was the sufferer and the Lord says, pray for your friends. Mm. And it's like, I'm the one with the problem. Right. He's like, and Lord, do you not see what they just did to me? Yeah. <laughs> We've been having this conversation, Lord, forever. <sighs> what do you mean me pray for them? Right. But that's what he said. That's right. And so that begins something, that attitude of not having to be right and not having to be paid back and not having it to be equal and being willing to be wronged. And, uh, and your, your attitude might be, yeah, I blew it. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve for things to be better. So no, I'm not going to do that. But, you know, no one deserves for things to be better. No, yeah. Nobody deserves forgiveness. That's what grace is. Exactly. If you deserve it, it's not grace. There's no such thing as, but I don't deserve forgiveness. Forgiveness is what's given when it's not deserved. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's not forgiveness. Right. So then I would say, after your attitude, part of that is accepting someone for who they are. Mm -hmm. They can feel that if you really do it. Give them time to realize that you really do accept them for who they are and that you really have some, you may not like everything about them, but the parts about them that you appreciate, you can say something about that or somehow they know that, you know, I really appreciate that one way that you do that or that time when you did this. You can find something to have them feel from you acceptance because that is hugely powerful. Yeah. Well, genuine acceptance, genuine. right? Yes. And oh, you can't, the parts that aren't true don't say. You can't right. make it up. Right. Yeah. If you hated the time that they did this other thing, you just don't bring that up. Right. Surely there's something in your relationship that they've done well. Well, and not to underestimate the amount of time it takes. I mean, yeah. I think sometimes we want everything to just be fixed and all fine. And it can take years 
to marinate these new ways of interrelating and forgiving. Took Brenda a long time to trust me. Yeah. Took many years to trust me. But now I look back, I go, oh, it wasn't anything. Compared to the value that it is now, mm -hmm. to compared to how long it's been good, it was nothing. But it did take a long time in the middle of it. Yeah. So anyway. So genuine acceptance, yes. Acceptance, uh, reach out, show that you care somehow, whatever that way is. Don't be defensive. Don't overly apologize. You overly apologize, you make it about you. Hmm. I know I blew it. I know. I'm so sorry. Just, just do it one time. Make sure they've heard it. You can repeat it if you think you need to, but take the energy that's used in guilt and shame and, and act in small, caring ways. Oh, that's so good. Show them you care by listening. How are, call for no reason. Hey, how did it go when you dot, dot, dot? They hear two things then. Wow, you remembered I told you I was going to have that meeting? Yes. They don't say that, but that's what they think. You're connecting with them. How did it go? I just wanted to see how it went. How can you touch them, you know, in a way that makes them feel valuable? Because yeah. when some, you make someone else feel valuable, they will never forget you and they will like you. And that's, you're, that's right. what you're trying to, it's not, it's not manipulation. It's human relationships that we're trying to connect so that it's we connection, can. Connection, yes. Yes. So make it about them. Make it about their worth. Make it about their value. Help Again, them humility. Right? Yes. Humility. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's not about you. It's not about how you suffered. It's not about how wronged you have been, even though you've been wronged. Mm -hmm. no, you're not talking about that. Well, and I love that you're saying this too, because these are things Brenda had to do toward oh, you. Totally. Where do you think I learned it? <laughs> <laughs> Just open oh. your eyes. Look around. The world is doing all the, all the, the world is doing wonderful things that we can learn from yeah. and horrible things that we can learn from. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Solomon put it all in Proverbs too, you know? Well, in her patience over all those years, I, yeah. uh, you must be so grateful. Oh, every day, every night I lay in bed with her and thank the Lord. I walk behind her in public. Lord, thank you for giving her to me and me to her. Thank you for making her my assignment. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Thank you. Mm. Grateful every second of the day, except certain times when, we, when I think she's stupid, you know, but she thinks <laughs> I'm stupid. But that doesn't dominate. Keeping it real. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't dominate. <laughs> I mean, sometimes she's just flat wrong. You know, I'm right, sorry. Right. It's funny that she thinks I'm flat wrong at times when I think she's flat wrong. But oh. it doesn't dominate. Oh, Gary, I love, love, love your authenticity and your transparency. And you're pretty funny, too. Do people tell you you have a sense of humor? No. No? Well, I've loved talking with you. It's been well, good. such a delight. And I, I think even beyond that, your willingness to share with us what you've learned along the way. I know I've been encouraged by hearing you today and for the practical ways that you've helped us because it's not about us doing, it's not about a list of things that we do. We accept God's grace that covers our inadequacies and yeah. our failure. It's and not it's, fixing. Right. It's out of gratitude that we choose to show up and love others. And these are some ways in which we can do that, that I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Oh, that was good. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So, Gary, where can everybody finds you online and keep track with your writing and, and with everything you're doing. Uh, GaryMorland.com. And there's no E in it. M-O-R-L-A-N-D. That's part of my mud too. You know, I carry that all the time with me. There's no E in our name because my uh, grandfather's dad abandoned his family. And my grandfather to pay his dad back took the E out of our last name so that his grand, his, his dad wouldn't be able to find him. Wow. That's and fascinating. So that part of our story I'm reminded of every time I spell my name for someone, that's Moreland, M-O-R-L-A-N-D with no mm. E. And if you go to GaryMoreland.com, you'll actually be able to read that story. It's in, in there because I try to write encouraging things uh, much, much in the way that uh, you do, Jackie, that there is hope. Thank there you. is always, always hope. Always hope and grace, never ending grace for all of us, no matter mm -hmm. what. I also want them to know you have a couple ebooks that you've written, the one one that has the story that we've mentioned today, and then you have another ebook. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell them about that? Uh, one you mentioned was From Beer to Eternity, A Little Story of Addiction and Beyond. And the other one is in your area, Jackie, I mean, of hope. It's called Scary Hope. Scary and Hope. And it's some stories, uh, courage and a kick to hug hope, face fear, and get going. And that's just a reminder to us 
almost like our conversation has been here, some of it's spiritual, some of it's not, about uh, how things look a certain way, but how quickly uh, and how thoroughly they can sometimes change. And so there's examples of that for uh, inspiration in that book, Kindle Books on Amazon. Love it. Well, Gary, thanks again for saying yes to talk to me. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with you. I've laughed and there's been poignant moments. And I I know you and I have a heart for people today, no matter what they're facing, to really meet God in a profound way and to know that there is never anyone without hope. And so thanks for, for what you're doing and for being here with me. It's been so fun. Awesome. Thank you, Jackie. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Well, that's all for this episode. Wasn't he so fun? Not only fun, but insightfully wise. And the tips that he offered are clearly wrought out of self-awareness and deep experience, past pain, and yet transformative hope that he's offered today. And that is the title of one of his eBooks, Scary Hope. And I know I really connected with Gary because he and I both are such champions for hope, no matter what you're facing. And so I hope that you leave this conversation changed for the better because you spent it with us and that you heard a message that's not only life-changing, but that can help you in some super practical ways. And may you never forget that it's not about what you do, but it's about who you're loved by. It's because of Christ that we are are who we are, and it's because of him that we have hope. So as usual, you can find all the links mentioned to this episode, including all the ways you can track Gary down and stay in touch with him over at the show notes page, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 55. And if you'd like to receive a free PDF of some show notes from this episode, some quotes and ideas that he shared on the show today, I would love nothing more than to give that to you. And all you need to receive that is to get out your cell phone and text the words episode 55 with no spaces to the number 33444. Again, get out your cell phone and you text the words episode 55 with no spaces to the number 33444. And you'll receive a text back giving you instructions on what to do. And just follow that prompt and we will be sending you a free PDF of the show notes of today's episode. And I hope it blesses you. Now, before I talk to you about what to expect next week, I want to remind you, if you would love to have a free audiobook today, I know I love listening to audiobooks. I can listen to a book and essentially read a book while I'm doing something else, and maybe you could enjoy that too. You can go to mudstoriesbook.com and you sign up for a free 30-day trial, which you can cancel at any time at no cost to you, and you'll be able to download an audiobook for free today. And a portion of you signing up goes back to support this podcast, which I greatly appreciate. And so if that sounds great to you, I would love for you to take advantage of that. Also, there is a free app associated with this podcast, and you can go to wherever on your mobile devices you download apps. So if you have an Apple product, you can go to the App Store and search the word Mud Stories, and you should see the app there. Or if you are an Android user like me, you can go to the Play Store and search the words Mud Stories. So next week, I am super thrilled to be sharing my conversation with Gary's youngest daughter, Emily P. Freeman. Some of you may know her from her blog, Chatting at the Sky. You can also get there by going to emilypfreeman.com. But she has something super exciting next week happening. She is launching her fourth book, which is titled Simply Tuesday. And you guys, I'm just here to say, do not miss this book and this episode, and you're going to hear so much more about it next week, but I've read it, and Emily, there's just something about her words, her presence, her voice that just helps our souls to breathe and helps us to become even more deeply aware of our inner selves and the ways in which God is already with us right where we are. And so her new book is all about savoring those small moments, and she has lots of wisdom to share. I hope you will make time to join us next week as she shares, and maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to get her take on her daddy's mud story. And I know that, you know, all of our stories are intertwined with our parents and our family, and it's never so easy as to look at a family and think, ah, They've got it all together. They've got it perfect. You know, I'd been reading Mike Willen and Emily's 
blogs and had even met them both in person before I found Gary's story. And, you know, I made the mistake of thinking, wow, that must be nice. They have a family that gets together and their dad leads it and sets goals and they're just so unified and Christ-centered. And who knew? Who knew? that this had been their story. And I think that's why I'm so deeply thankful for Gary for sharing so transparently where he's been. And you know, our stories really make us who we are. Really, God takes our stories and makes us into people who can and will become more like him if we let him. And so that's my deepest prayer for you today, that you not only would have this scary hope that that Gary talks about, but that you would know that God loves you and he's with you and he sees you. He's redeeming your situation even now, even if it doesn't feel like it, even if you can't see it. And that person you've been praying for for a long time, who knows what God is doing in their heart, even though it feels to you like nothing's happening. And so I hope today has left you with a lot of hope and encouragement and Let's all decide to look for what it is we can be grateful for this week, no matter what you're facing, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead. May we all find a grateful song to sing. I'll see you next week. Have a beautiful day. I never in feels a press upon my mind I pull a shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never in you, mother, feels a press upon my mind. That leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you song to sing, a grateful song to sing.